Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this service, for this time, for these families. As we turn now to your word, we ask you to open our hearts and minds uh, that we might receive and be empowered by your spirit to be changed, to be more like your son. And it's in his name that we ask it. Amen. A couple weeks back, I told you that I got to take my daughter to a Legends game for the first time. Um, Part of what I didn't tell you was what happened when we drove up. Uh, We've never been there before, and you drive up and you have to like circle the building and then get to the parking garage, and as you're circling the building, there's a line that just, it is humongous. I mean, it starts at the front and wraps all the way around the building. And we're running, not late, but on the edge of being late, and my daughter said, I hope we don't have to stand in that line. I'm like, honey, we have tickets. I'm sure we don't have to stand in that line. I hope we don't have to stand in that line. So we park in the garage, we come into the actual place, and we get in line. And I hear somebody talking to one of the kind of ushered people saying, hey, I've got these tickets, uh, where do I go? I thought, I should ask that question too, because I don't see a seat number on my ticket. My ticket says flex. And so I said, hey, I've got these tickets, what line do I stand in? And he goes, oh. And I should have known by the look, you're in that line outside the building. And when you get to the door, if there is room, you get to go in. But if there's not, you don't get to go in tonight. So I said, honey, I'm so sorry. Like, my daughter's all excited about this game, so we get the tickets, and we go stand in this gigantic line. And I'm just holding these tickets thinking, are we going to get in? Like, what if we get all the way up there, and then what do I tell my daughter? Like, how am I going to deal with it? She's so excited about this game. Last week, Toby started this series for us on the church, the early church. What what happened for them to build up this church? I mean, Acts is such a beautiful record of the way in which following the resurrection and the Holy Spirit coming down, we see the people of God coming together and, and building this church. And last week, Jesus taught us about the kingdom. Oh, I mean Toby. Hi, Toby. (laughs) If you weren't here last week, he called me Jesus three times. (laughs) There may have been. He talked about the kingdom of God. And, And here's my question today. Who is welcome in the kingdom? Who's holding these flex tickets and is actually going to get in and who's not? Because they are building something from the ground up right now. And in our verses today, it's the Samaritans. Are these people going to be welcomed into the kingdom? If you have a Bible, open it up to chapter 8 of Acts. Acts chapter 8. We're starting in verse 4. Who is welcomed? In the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 8 and verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Um, If we were to start in chapter 1, Jesus would tell the disciples that the word is going to go out. 
It's not just going to stay in Jerusalem. It's going to go out. Well, for the first seven chapters, it mostly stays around the Jerusalem area. But then Stephen, the first martyr of the church, Stephen is killed. And in that ensuing persecution, it starts going out. God uses this moment that looks really bad to actually start pushing the church out. That's what's happening here. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Um, Philip's story started back a little bit. He's one of the first deacons of the church, and he also becomes an evangelist. Um, Philip initially is prayed for, and he is prayed for in order to be a deacon because there's some imbalance in what's happening to the widows in the church. And those that are speaking Hebrew are getting treated a little differently than those who are speaking Greek. And so they decide to assign a certain group of people to go serve these widows, and Philip is one of them. But now he's going to share the gospel, and he's going to Samaria. Samaria is the place that the Jews went around. The Samaritans were half-breeds. You can go back into the Old Testament, and you can see these where probably they began at. It's where you have some Jews, and you've got foreign peoples, and they're coming together, and these become the Samaritans, half-breeds who don't have the right scriptures, who worship on the wrong mountain, who don't like God's people, the Jews. I mean, these people are a mess. And here is Philip. I'm gonna go to them. No matter what their background is, I'm gonna go to them. And the question becomes, can even those people be welcomed into the kingdom? We keep going. The crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him, and they saw the signs he did. That word paid attention, you're gonna see it come up again in a minute. It means to really focus on, but to even start buying into. That's what the word, the the word carries this idea of not just kind of going, oh, I wonder what that is, more of I wonder what that is, and wow, like I'm being pulled over into this. They paid attention, verse seven, for unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Last week, Toby said, we continue the ministry of Jesus. Here's Philip continuing the ministry of Jesus. Coming to an outcast people, proclaiming the word, bringing healing and hope, and there's joy in this city, even if they are Samaritans. Verse nine, But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time, He amazed them with his magic. Here's the thing. Philip walks into Samaria, into this city, but there's already somebody there. There's this guy named Simon, and he's been there for a while, and he too is doing some miraculous things called magic, and the people are buying in. The people have been paying attention to him. They're buying into what he's been doing. Well, here comes Philip, and so you have this rivalry. Here is Philip the deacon, And here is Simon, the magician. Verse 12, but when they believed Philip 
as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Remember, the crowds were amazed by him. He is now amazed by Philip. He sees something in Philip that is greater than what he is doing. And he believes in some sense. We'll talk about his belief. And so you have these two kind of groups. You've got these Samaritans, and then you've got Simon. Who gets in? Can they both get in? Can either get in? Who is really welcome in the kingdom of God? And why is this so significant? In 1985, Coca-Cola did something that has been called in hindsight, you know, one of the either bravest or dumbest things a giant company could do. They decided to change the formula of Coca-Cola. And I'm, even now I'm looking out and people are shaking their heads <laughs> already. Right? And so they wanted to, and I mean, there was such an outcry. Um, there were people, there was a guy in Texas that went and bought $1,000 worth of Coke to put in his basement of the original stuff before the new stuff came out. I mean, it was just, it was horrible, the outcry that they got. They were getting thousands of phone calls a day of people complaining about this. Here's what's amazing. There were two reasons they made the change. Number one, Coke was the number one soft drink in the world, but was declining. They were trying to find something to, to get it back up. Not that they still weren't number one, but it was declining. And number two, and this is the amazing thing, they did a blind test sample. 200,000 people. I mean, just think about the testing that we do now. You'll hear like 1,000 people were polled, and this is the new. 200,000 people. And more preferred the new formula over the old one. Here's what they didn't take into account. Our love and connection and feelings and everything else that we have, the tradition, all of it, attached to Coke. It lasted 79 days. And then they came out with classic Coca-Cola, which was the original Coca-Cola that everybody wanted. But just think about how hard it is to change something. More people actually preferred it in taste and still didn't want to change. Here is the church setting a trajectory. Who is welcome in the kingdom? And this is such a key moment because if the Samaritans are not welcome, it's gonna be really hard 100 years down the road, 200 years down the road to get them in. So can they come in? Keep going with me. Verse 14. Now when the apostles of Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. The church is still very small. It is still centered with the apostles. And you've got Peter and John here. I mean, these are pillars in the church. So they send these two guys to Samaria to see what's going on. Because again, these are Samaritans. Can they really come in? Who came down and they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. This is the only time in Acts where somebody believes 
is baptized and there's no spirit. There is something really special going on here where they had to wait for the apostles to come. And if you just think through it, again, can Samaritans come into the kingdom? Well, if Peter and John go lay hands on these guys and pray for them and they are filled by the Spirit, they are in the kingdom. For it had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. I will make this argument. The Samaritans are welcome in the kingdom of God. No matter if they were half-breeds, no matter what their background was, no matter what they thought of the Jewish people, no matter if they had the wrong theology for a while, they are welcome in the kingdom of God. And it's not just here. Not only do they receive, but something in verse 25, if you look down, now when they had testified and spoken the word of God, they returned to Jerusalem, remember that's where they came from, preaching the gospel to many villages to the Samaritans. They didn't do that on their way here. But when they saw that the Spirit worked and that the Samaritans were welcome on their way home, they are stopping in the villages and preaching the gospel to the Samaritans because they are welcome in the kingdom. If you jump to Acts 15, it's the Jerusalem council where they are trying to decide do Gentiles need to be circumcised? Paul and Barnabas, on their way to the council, they go through Samaria and they confess to the people there, there were converts. This is a real thing. The Samaritans are really accepted into the kingdom of God. Is Simon. Keep going. Now when Simon saw that the spirit was given through the laying on of hand on the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, "Give me this power also, so that any on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit." But Peter said to him, and this is harsh, right? I mean, this is not like, oh, no, I think you got it wrong. Let's, let's think about that together. Um, this, is, this is harsh. May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Now, wait a minute. He believed and he was baptized, both. And here is Peter saying, may your silver perish with you. You have no part in this. I would argue that Simon at this point is not welcome in the kingdom of God. He has been excluded. I'd argue it for a couple of reasons. Number one, it doesn't seem like he actually receives the Spirit. He's watching, others have it, and he wants to be able to give that power. Number two, Peter's words to him, you, have, you don't even have a small portion in any of this. No lot, no portion, nothing. Now, you have nothing in this. You are on the road to perishing. Why? Why? What's the difference between these two groups? Hey, sure, he's a magician. He is calling himself great. Uh, he's taking the place of the power of God. He's, the Samaritans were pretty awful in terms of theologically speaking. What is the difference between them? The heart. Go back to Peter's words. For your heart 
is not right before God. That word, right. Here's what it means. Bent. Crooked. It means there's something that is straight and you're going parallel to it, but you're not parallel to it. You're off. You're going away. In Acts chapter 13, Paul uses the same word to describe, amazingly enough, another magician. And he says to them, you are making crooked, it's the same word, the straight paths of God. God is doing this. Your heart is doing this. You're over here. Your heart is not right. So you have to step back and say, well, what? He believed. Like, he believed. He believes in something. And you know what? I'm going to argue his belief is legitimate. He actually does believe in something. It's just not the right thing. Here's what I think he believes in. Notice his response to the Spirit coming. He says, show me how to do this. I'll give you money. You know what that is? That's how a magician sees the world. A magician sees power and thinks that different people can give it to different people and I'm gonna get money for it. You know what he's been doing his entire time? He's been here a long time, remember? You know what he's doing? He's doing magic to get money. Here's what I believe is happening with Simon. He's got a bunch of the issues. Like he, he gets this kind of story of what's happening and he sees the power, but he interprets it in light of magic. He interprets it in how he's already seeing the world. He's not letting it transform the way he views things. He's going, okay, there's power, there's a person doing it, you're doing it to those people, that's what I've been doing, I want to do that, here's money, let me do it. He believes in the power but not in the person of Christ. And those are not the same thing. Sometimes we can have information, but not have the information situated right. My three-year-old's favorite book, at least for the last three weeks or so, and probably for another few weeks, and then he'll forget all about it, but every night we have to read The Six Little Chicks. It's his favorite book. Um, I can't hardly even read the book. I'm glad my wife is there to read it because it's, the words are all over the place and I mess them up and then my five-year-old corrects me when I mess the words up because he's heard it so many times. Well, in this book, there are these six little chicks and they're in a chicken coop. And the whole book is about, oh, there's five and there's an egg, five in the egg. And, and the whole book is about the big bad fox who's trying to get the little chicks. And at one point, the big bad fox sticks his face through a crack in the chicken coop and he sees all the chicks, and we go through this part every night, except for one time when my five-year-old said, oh, I think he got one of the chicks. That chick is dead now. And my daughter goes, Kaden, you can't do that. And he goes, oh, no, really, it's okay. He's gonna rise again on the third day. <laughs> and he was very, very serious about it. I mean, he's going to rise again on the third day. It's okay that he died. Don't worry about it, sis. He kind of got the Easter message. He's got the information, but the information is not, it's not sitting right. It's not coming together right. And here's the thing. 
you may be a person that thinks theology really doesn't matter that much. Well, let's play my five-year-old's theology forward. What happens if my cat dies? Exactly. It rises in three days. The family's all upset, and my son's going, he's going to come back in three days. Who cares? In fact, here, I'm just going to throw him in front of a car because he's going to come back anyway. There are ramifications to what we believe. False belief can lead to false living. I'm not saying that everybody has to be a theologian in the sense of like going to seminary and gaining a degree, and, but you are a theologian whether you realize it or not. The only question is will you be a thoughtful theologian or one over here that's going, yeah, I don't really care about this stuff, I'm just gonna go live. I believe Simon believed. He just believed in the wrong thing and it sent him down a wrong path. He had all these facts, but those facts were not, he saw them through his view of magic and he saw Christianity as something he could get something from. Like, I'm gonna go out, I mean, why did he want that power? To continue making money. I can now pull, I can now call the spirit down on these people and they'll do all these things and then they'll pay me for stuff. I am gonna ask you a very serious question that I'm not looking for a response for because that would be a lot of responses. Nor would I think you necessarily have an answer right at this moment. But I'd love you to think about it. What is Christianity to you? How are you using it? Is it something where there's like some personal gain that's just for you, that somehow you're manipulating things to do it? Is there some box that you check that like it just makes you feel good? Like I've checked the box, I've done my things. What is, the, what is Christianity to you? Peter was not in a moment going to let this false view come into this early church. He stops it. And I ask you this question, why is the heart so important? Why does it matter so much? If you go through the book of Acts, chapter two, first gospel message. When they hear it, the people are cut to the heart and repent. Acts chapter four, the unity of the church, they're of one heart. Acts chapter five, Ananias lies to the spirit in his heart. Over and over and over again, you see the heart. Even at the very end in Acts 28, the heart is unresponsive to God. Mark 7 is where Jesus says this. Mark chapter 7. He called the people to him again, and he said, hear me, all of you. And understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And he entered into the house and he left the people and his disciples asked about the parable and he said to them, then you also are without understanding. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. 
For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. You want to know who's welcome in the kingdom? Look at the heart. Not the background. Not your past. Not the bad things you've done. Not where you came from. Not whatever race you may be. Whatever religion you may have grown up in. But what's your heart now when it comes to God? Because the heart is where Peter goes. The heart is where all of these things come out of. Y'all take a moment and stretch. My daughter loves this cup because she loves the blue. Uh, my son is a little freaked out by it because it's blue. We don't normally drink blue things, um, but it's blue. I mean, I'm sure even in the back row you can see that it's blue. Um, problem is, um, it's not blue. You can put orange juice in here, and if it's cold, it'll turn blue. Um, it doesn't matter what you put on the inside. The outside is always going to be blue because it doesn't actually represent what the inside is. This is what was on the inside. And you can walk around all day long and, and, and show from the outside that you are something. It doesn't mean anything if the inside doesn't match up, if the heart is not right if it's not getting in parallel with God's heart, it doesn't matter. So, and I will end with this. Um, what do you do? Truly, if you feel like your heart is maybe off, maybe you're questioning, maybe you're wondering, maybe it's not a salvation thing for you, it's just that in these moments I'm wondering, where my heart really is. Here is what Peter says to Simon. Turn back to Acts 8. Tells him three things. And I'll give them all to you. Verse 22. Number one, repent. That's where he starts. That's where he started with the gospel message in Acts 2. Repent. That means to feel remorse and to change your mind about where you're at and where your heart's at. Number two, repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. Repent and ask the Lord to forgive you. Forgive me, pardon me for what I'm doing. And number three, for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. See, he is trapped this gall of bitterness likely refers to his envy of the apostles. I want the power that you have, and it is blinding him. Is there a sin in your life that you feel trapped by? 
Is there something you keep doing over and over again, something you struggle with that is like bondage in your life? Repent, pray for forgiveness, and recognize the truth of being trapped by that sin that you might bring it before the Lord. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Along with the early church, I don't think Simon ever repented. Um, That little phrase he says there, notice that he doesn't pray for himself. He basically, in somewhat of a dismissive way, says to Peter, well, pray for me then that this might not happen. And you can go into multiple early church writers, Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, Simon is viewed as somebody who went on, and they have a history of him. He goes on and he begins to be the father of certain heresies because he would not repent. He would not pray for forgiveness. He would not recognize the sin that was trapping him, and instead, he just went on in that same way. We were standing in the back of the line, almost literally. There were like 10 people behind us as we're holding these tickets. The game is getting ready to start, and at this point, I'm going, we're not getting in. Here's the entryway. You go all the way around the building on this side, and here's where we are. Can't even see around the corner to where the line is happening. Suddenly, the door is right here, open. Guy comes out and he says, hey, you guys in the back of the line, come on in. My daughter goes, should we go? Yeah. (laughs) If we don't, we are getting in. So we walk in. He's like, all right. You guys are all in. Just give us your tickets. You can sit wherever you can find a seat in the stadium. Just come on in. One guy was standing at the door. I don't know if he thought it was a trick or what, but he's not coming in. And the guy leading, he says, hey, dude, you got to come in. Like, we're closing the doors before everybody else makes a mad rush in here. Like, are you coming or not? And he just stood there holding the door. A guy working with the one announcing it walked up to him and said, dude, are you coming in? He goes, I guess. And they close the door and we all walk in. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. Getting into the kingdom of God is purely his grace. It is because Jesus died on a cross, rose again, ascended into heaven, and when we trust him for our salvation, We get in when we don't deserve it. Those doors open up and we are invited in and we're going, wow, how did I even get in here? I do not deserve this. Like I was in the back of the line and you let me in. However, you have to walk in. You have to go in. And it's not about your past. It's not about how bad you may have been or even are right now. It's about a heart that will embrace the gospel of Christ and know that there is true forgiveness in him and walk on in. That is who is welcome in the kingdom. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your son. 
in whom we have salvation and life, purpose, strength, eternity. Lord, right now, whoever is struggling with a heart that is not right, Lord, would you give us the humility to confess that to you, to recognize it, to repent of it, to see the doors of the kingdom open that we are being welcomed in. And for anybody who may not know you at all, would you draw them at this time by your spirit into the welcoming arms of your kingdom? We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Would you please stand?